0: So thank you um, for coming today. Uh, my name is Sherelle Higgins. I will be doing the session on how to love well across differences. Um, I grew up in Radcliffe, Kentucky. If you don't know where that's at, this is Kentucky. It's about right here. Um, if you don't know where that's at, it's about it's literally next door to Fort Knox Military Base. And if that doesn't help you, I'm 45 minutes south of University of Louisville. So that kind of gives you some context of where I grew up. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home all my life. Um, my parents, who are here today, um, they gave their life to the Lord when I was 13. Um, I would say I was really blessed because um, I grew up in a pretty diverse city, considering growing up in Kentucky. Um, the church that my parents took me to was also diverse, um, and so when I look back at my upbringing, um, I thank the Lord because I was exposed really quick to a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. However, I would say as diverse as my childhood was, um, diversity was never really talked about in the pulpit. So all through college, I kind of went through my Christian walk thinking, you know, this was just, it, we didn't really talk about it. it. I didn't think that God really value diversity as much and I didn't really see it um, as just something biblical. It's something you pursued intentionally. Um, I went to Georgetown College. I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and um, I cheered all four years of college. I joined a sorority and Georgetown um, is a PWI which stands for predominantly white institution. Um, I, if I could tell you that I could literally count on my hands and toes how many people of color I came in contact with, that is a very factual statement. Um, I was probably one... Um, I was probably the only minority on my cheer team all four years. Um, there was probably two minorities in my sorority. And so Georgetown College was a very um, white, cultural education world. And then something... Crazy happened my senior year that kind of changed my world, and for the first time I felt like the minority. Um, I remember it was a Sunday night. My roommate and I were watching Walking Dead. I'm a Walking Dead fan, and um, we were flipping through the channels. And I remember the news kind of flashed, and something just told me to stop for a second. And so I went back to the news, and um, I remember at the bottom of the screen it was breaking news: uh, shooting in Ferguson, and it was almost like my world has stopped because like I said, for the first time I felt like a minority for the first time I felt um, something's wrong here. I feel some kind of way, but yet when I went to class the next day or when I went to go eat in the cafeteria, it was like my peers around me, their life was still going on. And, and so for the first time in my life, back in, in 2015, I had this mentality of, man, like, I am a minority and I feel it. And, um, I had the privilege and opportunity to go to a conference in Memphis, Tennessee called Kinos. Um, before I graduated, I was deciding whether or not I wanted to come on staff with a college ministry that I was heavily involved with as a student. And they decided to invite myself and another young man who was also you know, in that in-between stage of deciding to come on ministry as well to this conference. And this conference just blew my whole perspective away. And it really was kind of the pinnacle for my walk with the Lord as far as this idea of learning how to love well when it comes to differences. And there were so many well-known pastors and speakers at this conference. And the one session that really stuck out to me was Matt Chandler's session. He's a pastor Um, I believe in Texas. Um, and the basic premise of his session that day was just because you have a sprinkle of people represented from different cultures and different backgrounds doesn't mean you've reached the pinnacle of unifying and diversifying your church. And that really rocked my world because, you know, you see a lot of organizations and churches who look very diverse on the surface level, but when you really dive in, they're, they're no different than any other organization in the world. Um, And I think that's interesting because part of the church's responsibility is to go deep. We are a family united. And so I find it interesting when I am in the realms of um, diversity, specifically in the church setting, um, we oftentimes don't look any different than any other organization in this world. Um, And so part of having a church and, or an organization that is unified and lets love lead is knowing where your people come from and the experience they've gone through. And I'm going to share more about this later and I'm going to say this probably multiple times, but, um, when I did ministry on a college campus at Northern Kentucky University, one of the things that my boss really kind of ingrained in me my first year doing ministry was you need to learn how to live life with your disciples. There's something special when it comes to sharing your life with people. Um, and in doing that, you have to open yourself up. You have to get past the, how's the weather doing? How was that exam? How, you know, how's your mom and dad? It, it goes deeper than that. It, it goes to that, what are you struggling with? Let me, did I, I, I know I said something last week and I can see that it rubbed you the wrong way. Let's talk about that. Um, and so to have a unifying church organization that leads in love, you have to know where your people come from and you have to know the experiences they've gone through as that adds to the the lens in which they see the world. You know, my lens is completely different from you. My lens and how I view the world and how I view um, the things in this world and even my Christianity is very different from all of you all. And so we have to really understand everyone's background and their life experiences in order to really understand that. Um, and this unity is the picture of a multi-ethnic church. Um, so like I said, I spent three years doing ministry on a college campus and I was right out of college. I was very young, 20 something year old. I'm still very young, but, um, but that was very challenging three years of my life. God really shaped and molded me and he stretched me in so many phenomenal ways that, um, I'm still even processing to this day. And, one thing that I've learned doing multi-ethnic ministry is that it takes a lot of love, it takes a lot of humility, and it takes a lot of commitment um, on both sides. Um, I would also say on top of doing multi-ethnic ministry, I also experience doing ministry as a minority, which um, adds a whole nother layer to things. When you're um, functioning in a world where the majority has been doing ministry in a way that they've been used to. Um, so doing ministry, not only just multi ministry is hard, but then doing it as a minority, um, is also hard as well. I, I always often say that I was kind of an anomaly when I did ministry in KU because not only was I African American, um, but I was also single. There aren't a lot of single staff women, um, in our, in our organization. And I was also a woman doing ministry as well. There aren't a lot of women doing ministry um, in the organization I was working with. And so I was kind of an anomaly times three. And so, um, like I said, that helped me grow and learn in so many different ways and what it looks like to learn how to lead in love and unity. Um, But also, God really took those three years of me doing ministry and me really diving deep into this heart of God, to this God's passion for diversity, um, to gain a new lens and how to read and interpret God's word. Um, you know, ever since I went to that conference in Kyn- at Kynos in Memphis, Tennessee, um, like I told you, all, I didn't really have a lens as far as seeing God's word address these issues when it comes to racial reconciliation or even just learning how to love between differences. Um, so for the first time in the last, I would say, probably three years, I've grown to really see and understand God's word to really address these issues and and to really understand that God's heart beats after um, racial reconciliation and diversity. Um, you know, chapters like Ephesians 2, where it talks about breaking down the walls of hostility and creating himself a one new man. That was kind of like the theme of the conference that I went to and it really just I it was a big eye-opener for me because like I said I've read the Bible and I've been in church and no one really talked about the Bible and its context in that way and so as I started to really dig deeper into my walk with the Lord and dig deeper into his passion um for God's kingdom to be diverse I really began to see that his word um addresses these things and it's very plain and simple um and so, as I was preparing for this talk, um, my talk is based out of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is no different. That's one thing that I, I told students a lot of times was a lot of people, even myself, fell prey to just wanting to make God's word so complicated, when really it's very simple, um, and I would say it's very simple when it comes to this issue. God in, d- really gives us a command to love across differences, and... When we don't do that as a church, like as a whole, as, as Christians, as his children, we're really doing the gospel of dissatisfaction when we do that. Um, and so I, I love reading the Bible now because it's so clear to me how God addresses these issues and where he stands. And so um, without further ado, I'm going to start going through my talk. I have four points today. Um, but before I get into the points, um, Paul knew a little something about bringing people together in a way uh, that's unifying and God glorifying. As much as he did for the church, he knew his primary calling was to bring people together and, and to bring unity. Um, the church in K- Cornuth is really interesting because they had a number of divisions within their church, which if we look closely at our churches today, um, it's no different. We have divisions when it comes to our status, when it comes to class, um, Educational background, church position, marital status, gender, doctrine. Um, the church in Cornus was experiencing these same exact things our modern day churches are experiencing today. Um, and so, like I said, I'm, I'm gonna share four advices, which that it's not just limited to four. There are many more advices that Paul gives in First Corinthians. Um, but the four that I'm gonna be sharing with you all today, um, I think are very important and vital. Um, and really instructive for us today. Um, so the first advice that Paul gives us in chapter 1 is if you boast, boast in Christ. Um, in verses 28 through 31, it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Cornus, like I said, had built this social pyramid and they functioned on that social pyramid. So those who were at the top, um, they boasted in the things that they had, in their wealth, in their status, the positions that they held in the church. Um, while those who were kind of at the bottom, they didn't really have anything to really boast on because they didn't really have any status. And so... Paul gave this point and to kind of really humble those who are on the top to say, hey, if you're going to boast, you got to boast in Christ. Because the fact is, is that you wouldn't have this position. You wouldn't even have the um, the ability to stand before a holy God without Jesus. And so it, he kind of came to kind of, I love Paul because he kind of comes in with a hammer first. And then he like, lays it with a lot of grace. Um, But Paul was very, very. I feel like he was very harsh when it came to this. You know, if you're going to boast, boast in Christ. Um, And from the beginning, Paul needed to break the preference of the rich over the poor. And so in order to do that, our only boast can be in Christ. Um, So again, there's that humility aspect when it comes to learning how to love. um, And when it comes to differences, you have to be Humble. Um, you know, working college ministry, you learn a lot of, you know, hip language. Um, but there's a song that says, sit down and be humble. And I I take that to heart because we really do. You need to sometimes be quiet, sit down, listen, and be humble in order to really understand where other people are coming from. Um, because sadly in our American culture, we like to just talk and talk and talk and do very little listening. And I fall prey to it. I listen. And then I'm also preparing my own response before you're even done with your sentence. And what I've learned doing multi ethnic ministry is that it doesn't work that way. You have to say what you need to say and then really listen with intent and process and then speak again. But like I said, in our culture, we're very quick to just blurt out a lot of things. I call it word vomiting (laughs) because I do that a lot. Um, But we blurt out a lot of things. And then before the other person's even done talking, We already have a response. And so um, we really need to work on being humble when it comes to learning how to love well and and differences. The second advice um, Paul gave was to discern the body, which is in chapter 11, um, verses 27 through 29. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What Paul's talking about here is um he's giving advice in a lot of the uh socioeconomic differences during communion. So a lot of the rich people had the um materials, have the resources to um Get, get the right kind of, uh, things that they needed for communion. The right bread, the, the right kind of wine, and things like that. And that left the poor, um, with just little that they had. And, and here it's really cool because Paul's kind of talking about sharing your resources amongst those in the church. You know, um, you know, the Bible talks about how, you know, when we're together, we're to share our resources with one another. And this is exactly what Paul's getting at in, and what they were doing in the church was the rich were kind of, you know, done waiting for the poor. They're like, well, we're just going to do our communion on our own. And when they would see the poor later come in, they, what little resources they had, which was probably, you know, cheap wine and cheap bread, and they would just kind of come in and do their communion. And the rich would kind of cast judgment on them of how can they come in and basically be just, you know, drunk and wasted and all intoxicated. And That's because the rich never shared their resources with the poor. And, and so the, the rich really need to learn how to wait for the poor and then they could dine together. And I, and I really love this idea of dining together. I always tell people that there's something intimate that happens when you share a meal together. Um, I'm 25 and I feel like everything that I do is based around a meal because I like to eat. Um, and so, but it, it really is. There's something special. When it comes to getting together with people that you may not know, getting together with people that are your closest friends and breaking bread and sharing a meal across the table. When I did ministry, um, I made sure that I cooked a home-cooked meal um, for the girls that I discipled because at least we were together once a month and sharing that intimate setting across the table where after those surface level conversations were over and everyone kind of ate all the food, It kind of left room for those really deep questions of, hey, what are you really struggling with? Or how can I be really praying for you? Or how is your family really doing? Now that we're kind of past that surface level, how are exams? I really want to know how you're doing. And what Paul is kind of getting at here is not only just sharing our resources, but he's also getting at um, learning how to enter into one another's lives. Um, Like I said, there's just something really... Again, our culture, our Americanized culture, um, it really eats me up sometimes because we're, we're really, really great at just saying, how are you? Good. And that's just the automatic response. Like, I tried for a month to really focus on the question, how am I doing? And really give a, an honest answer. But what I found was that whoever was asking me how I'm doing didn't have time to hear my actual real answer. It was more of a, in passing, I just have enough time to hear the good and I'm going to keep walking. And, and that kind of, it silences our feelings and it silences our true relationship with one another that God really intended us to have. Because if you really look, you know, Jesus never ran anywhere. He always walked, which meant he had, um, he had this intentionality with him that he was going to walk with people. I'm going to take time and walk with you and really intently listen. When we're running places, we don't have time to listen. We, we're just again we're just high and by how are you doing good great and sharing a meal together requires us to sit down and really ask one another how are you doing and that's where um that's where like i said at the beginning learning people's backgrounds really comes into play um and so again like i said this requires us to know about each other's lives this requires us to know that um, you know, so-and-so doesn't like peas in their spaghetti. So-and-so doesn't like uh, this kind of soda when they're drinking this kind of meal. Or, you know, so-and-so likes sweet tea over unsweetened tea. This really inquires an intimate um, kind of setting in a relationship that I feel like a lot of people, especially in the church, um, really kind of miss. You know, when I graduated college, I went through this season of, Trying to reestablish myself, um, cause I, you know, in college, I found a church and then I moved from two cities and went through this whole, I don't have a home church anymore, so I gotta find a place. And one thing that I really, really struggled with was the intentionality within the church. Um, you know, again, like I said, I, not to really harsh on, brag, or I guess harp on the church, but, um, you know, sometimes I, I just get a, a feeling uh, like angry sometimes because, again, if we really take a good look at our churches and the church as a whole, we don't look any different than any other organization out here in, in the world. And and so when I found a church that I really, really loved in Cincinnati, um it, it was because of the attentionality of people they came up to me and said, Hey, how are you doing? I want to get lunch with you. You know, where did you move from? Why are you here? Um, I want to help you. Do you need any help with anything? Um, are some good restaurants in, in the area. And so, um, there's, there has to be an intentionality within the church because through that we learn how to share each other's lives. And then through that, we get to learn how to love people through our differences. Um, a lot of people don't want to be honest. And, and this is where, um, you know, as I, I'm very passionate about uh, the church when it comes to diversity because, or when it even just comes to racial issues, because I think for a long time, we as a culture and we as a, as a people just have been very, I guess, naive into really understanding that. Bless you. Um, that there are, are still many areas in our world that are still racialized um, and I think we can see that when patterns of shootings happen in our world you know it kind of butts its ugly head again and then it dies down and we don't really talk about it and that's one thing I was kind of really grateful although all the events that happened within the past two years were really sad and really really hard to bear as a minority Um I was really thankful because I feel like for the first time it forced us as a culture within the church as well to really talk about these issues um, and really get at the bottom that um, we are still very much living in a um racialized world. And so there are many areas in our world that are racialized still. That that's it that's health care, that's interest rates, that's job promotion, new car prices, job assignments credit availability, hiring, home ownership. Um, and that is where, again, the getting to know one another's lives. That's that vulnerability. You know, when I, we had to raise our own support when I did ministry. And it, it wasn't that I didn't want to do ministry that scared me. It was the fact that I had to raise my own support. And I was honest with the, with my bosses. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to need help because a lot of people didn't because at that time there were there hadn't been anyone of of color on the staff team for 13 years. So they were kind of going into this whole movement kind of blind again. And myself and the other young man told them up front and said, listen, it's going to be a challenge when it comes to us as a minority raising support because we lack resources. We don't have the network um, like a lot of our white counterparts do in this world. Um, and so it's not the fact that we're scared to do ministry. It's the fact that we are going to have a really hard time raising our own support. And, and I would say that is, you know, economics within itself is a racialized, um, area of our world that is still affects us even within, um, Christian realms. Um, and, and so t- for the church, I think it's really important to really understand that outside of our context, outside of our church, there are still re- many racialized areas of our world that people who are oppressed and under-resourced are still being um, influenced and being um, affected by these things. Third advice that Paul gives is to give honor where it is lacking. In chapter 12, verses 34 through 25, um, it says, Which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And I meant to preface this at the beginning, but every this right here, especially the last two points, it's really, really hard because... Again, this is that humility coming in of, you know, yes, I may have a higher position than you. And yes, I may have all these networks and resources um, than you do. But I'm also commanded in God's word to share that resourcing and um, and to really esteem you higher than myself. Because in the world, you know, I, I love Jesus just came to really turn everything upside down because the world would say if you have power and you have resources use it for you yourself and I and and boast in yourself but what Jesus came to do was say no I'm going to take that wealth I'm going to spread it on down to where it trickles down to those who are on the bottom to those that we would say are the least of these and I'm going to esteem them and, and I love that about Jesus because it, that's really hard to do. And the fact that he gave us as his children that command, I sometimes kind of like, Jesus, you just kind of set me up to fail sometimes because that, that is really hard to really enter in and love and honor those who are, are deemed less, uh, you know, less important or less under resourced. And so, um, Paul here isn't just talking about the body and in, in the many parts, you know, because this passage, um, chapter 12 talks about, you know, the gifts and the talents and the callings of people and how together we are one body. But I think he's, again, he's also talking about, um, the ethnic and socioeconomic differences. Um, in the church, those who are treated as scum by society, we have to treat with even more honor. And in this way, We make level the unevenness that goes on outside of the church. And so, again, what I love about Jesus, you know, what he says, I came for the sick and the poor. He came to really level the playing field. And I love that because if we're honest, a lot of us were on the bottom, kind of like, I don't know how to get up there. But Jesus came and he leveled it. He said, "I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to die on the cross for you. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to take your unrighteousness. And I'm going to level the playing field for everyone. And that is the beauty of of the cross. And one of the many beauties of the cross. And he gives us that same command when it comes to building relationships with one another. He calls us to level that playing field for one another. And, and in order to do that, we again have to share our, our resources, share, um, it doesn't have to be just, about money. It's about time. It's about, um, you know, I I found that, um, doing multi ministry in KU, a lot of our students, a lot of our African-American students didn't, were first generational college students. And a lot of them didn't have a car. Um, and that really baffled us because a lot of our events required us to drive somewhere else. And, or to even, you know, just the, I, I was blessed to have a family that, you know, kind of spoiled me, but I had a car in college. I, had my bills paid for I had you know everything was kind of paid for and when I was able to enter into relationships with people who looked like me but had a different background than me um, it really humbled me because allowing someone just to use my car to go to work was sharing my resources. I remember there was a girl who was a senior she didn't have her license yet and I spent the next, probably for a whole month, every Saturday, when it was so cold outside, helping her learn how to drive. And that for her spoke volumes. And did I, was I a phenomenal driver? By no means. But, um, but for me to take my time on a Saturday, which was considered my day off and teach, help learn, help teach her how to drive, pedal a park, how to, you know get in and off the interstate um, that for her spoke volumes I shared my resource which was my car I shared my time which is a resource of mine and so um, and like I said that's very hard to do because again we live in a society where it's me myself and I I go to work for my money to provide for my family Anyone outside of that, good luck. <laughs> you know, I'll share. If I have some crumbs, I'll give it to you. And again, like I said, Jesus came to really break all of that down. And, and so, again, I understand this is hard, but yet again, it's very simple. Um, I was attending a t- uh, another conference in Cincinnati at People's Church called... Um, oh, the conference just left my brain. I think it was... Uh, Yes. Thank you. Um, and Dr. Corey Edwards said something that really walked rocked my world. And that was, it's kind of a, an equation. She said, if you have diversity strategies and still have power and equality, you do not have the gospel. And what she means by that is you can come up with, um, you know, you can come up with a fund to pour back into lower and under-resourced communities. You can um, hire a pastor to do uh, worship. You can h- like a, a a minority to come and do worship at your church. You can have all these strategies, but if the level, if the playing field is not leveled as far as power and leadership, then you still don't have the gospel. the The big thing that I loved about what she said is that you have to spread your power, and and that again takes humility. Um, you know when I was doing ministry at NKU, um, a big, a big part of the, the rock in the road was there was no one like, who looked like me represented on the board. So there was no one like me able to speak up for me. There was no one like me who could voice my concerns or voice my fears and my doubts and, and all of, and the troubles and the struggles of being a minority doing ministry. Um, and so, when you have people who look different from you around the table, able to to where the power is 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 even the the resources is even, it allows room for the kingdom just to grow even more. Um, I now work in a residential treatment facility with kids who are in foster care, and because of their behavior, they cannot uh, maintain in a family home setting. And so, our one of our main jobs is a kind of trade out their survival behavior and replace it for the uh, desired behavior that society would want and my particular um, position is called a crisis floater and basically it's kind of like a first responder so anytime a kid is going off in their room or is being um, very aggressive in any kind of way um, i'm kind of the one that kind of goes on the scene and try to de-escalate the kid and i remember The first day uh, of training, this lady looked at me and said, Sherelle, if you don't have a relationship with the kid, you don't even have a prayer. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she goes, if you do not take the time to build a relationship with this kid, you have not an ounce, not even 0.001% of an effort to even de-escalate this kid. Relationship is key. And I kind of walked out of that train. and I said, okay, you know, I got this. This is day one on the job. And um, and I remember I got my first crisis call. And this was girl, she was refusing um, to go to her room after dinner. So all of the other kids were still out of the room. So we really did need to get her into a transition of some place because she was starting to escalate. And I remember I walked in and I was like, you know, hey... I'm here. What do you need? What's wrong? And she just looked at me and she said, I don't know who you are. Get out of my face. And I don't want to ever talk to you again. Now you all got the more nice version. That was not how she said it. <laughs> so be thankful for that. Cause she had a lot of other colorful words in there. Um, but that was only because I did not have a relationship with her. And I came to really understand really quick that that statement was true. If I don't have a relationship with a kid, I don't even have a prayer. And so I spent the next month and a half playing Uno, uh, playing chess. I didn't even know how to play chess. Um, playing chess, playing checkers, doing so many bedtimes and tuck-ins and reading the same Frozen story every night um, to kids so I could build relationships with them so that when I am needed, I can pull from something. Then I have a prayer. And I know that sounds kind of exaggerative, but I would really say that this statement also works when it comes to doing multi-ethnic ministry in the church. If you don't have a relationship, you probably... I mean, prayer is a big piece. Prayer is also very powerful. Um, but you don't even have a prayer. Relationship is key to learning how to love across differences. Um, and so my last point... Oh, um, sorry, this also... I always forget about this slide. Um, But this too is really cool because the church, what the goal is for us to be able to say, let's meet in the middle. But what you find a lot of churches and organizations say is I'll make room for you. And that comes out. I've seen it even in our own, in my own when I did ministry, um, I saw it played out where we would start with, let's uh let's just, you know, put a couple of African Americans on the worship team, and that's that. Now we're diverse. And I, you know, had a boldly, me and my other coworker had a boldly come to them and say, that was a great effort, but that is not what we need. And, and that, and not that their hearts was in the wrong place, but in a sense, they were like, we're just going to make room for, we're going to stay, we're going to continue everything that we want to do, and we're just going to make room for you. We're going to add a little bit of this, we're going to add a little bit of that, and we're going to be great. And it's like, no. When it comes to diversity, doing the multi-ethnic ministry, some things have to die and some things need to be reborn again. Um, and so the goal when it comes to unity and diversity is for everyone to meet in the middle. However, the temptation, the other side of that is what you'll find is a lot of people will say, I'll just make room for you. Um. So my last point is we have to let love be the aim. And this, of course, you can probably, knowing that I'm out of 1 Corinthians, you can probably tell that it is based out of chapter 13, the love chapter. Um, however, you know, even myself, when I read from youth group, you know, chapter 13 was romantic love. It was the kind of love that you saw in a marriage. And, um, and as I got older and had different lens to understand chapter 13 uh, in a more deeper way, um, he's not just talking about a romantic love here. He's also talking about the love in the church. Um, and how can we demonstrate that? Um, it's all in chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Some of the things that I've learned during ministry and even just being at People's Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, is nothing says I love and value you more when two people or groups of people come together together and really share their lives with one another. Nothing says I love and value you when one person hurts the other and is willing to go to the brother or sister and say, hey, I notice I hurt you. I I don't understand why, but I want to understand. Can you help me? Nothing um, says I love and value you when you're willing to stand in the gap of injustices for those who are under-resourced and oppressed and fight to understand, educate others, and have compassion. When we, um, before we even decided to do multi-technic ministry on the college campus, we knew that we had a lot of groundwork to do within our staff team. And so we took a year to really educate ourselves, to really have those hard conversations, and to address the big elephant in the room amongst ourselves. You know, like I said, at the time, there were only two of us on the staff team that were minority, and that brought a huge elephant in the room that, for 13 years, was never talked about. And in our, if we had a banner for that year, it would say, "Education moves you away from comparison and towards compassion." You have to educate yourself on again where your people come from and, and their background um, in order to stop comparing yourself, and to really move towards compassion. Um, when I did college ministry and talked to a lot of African Americans in the context of um, God's heart for racial reconciliation, the biggest thing I always told people was, if the cross can reconcile the most hostile relationship known to mankind, which is our relationship with a holy God, and his love, Jesus dying on the cross, was his love pouring out for us. If that, relation, if that cross can reconcile this relationship, then why can't it reconcile this? And I've had to really do a heart check myself every day doing ministry and even to today when issues like this come up because the cross, it broke so many barriers, that more barriers than we can even understand to reconcile our relationship with a holy God. Who doesn't even look down on us now as children of wrath, but calls us friends, calls us family, calls us co-heirs. And so if we, if God can reconcile this, why can't we sit at a table together and learn how to reconcile this? Um, and I love that because again, that, that opened up a whole another world for people when it came to understanding, um, understanding multi-ethnic ministry and learning how to love well when it comes to differences. Um, Doing multi-ethnic ministry, I, you know, experienced a lot of wounds. Um, Again, like I said, I was a, I was a triple threat. I was, I was a minority. I was single and I was a woman. And with that came, like I said, a lot of wounds, but also a lot of victories. Um, Those wounds I would say aren't, were never intentional. Um, but they were there, you know, doing multi ministry, it opens up a whole nother world of vulnerability. And I didn't really realize that until I got into it, um, and experienced it myself. Um, but I, like I said, I think what is beautiful is when you understand that I'm not going to go anywhere because the cross is right here. I'm going to stay and I'm going to be willing to talk this out with you. I'm going to be willing to, be humble and say, I was wrong. And I don't understand. That was very ignorant of me to say this, but I want to understand. And it takes commitment. It takes you to come back to one another. Um, there was a beautiful picture that, um, one of the speakers gave at the conference in Memphis. And it was this picture of when you're in a relationship with another person who is very different from you. It can be socioeconomic status it can be background it can be racial it can be cultural anything but what you demand of that relationship in a sense what it should be is I'm going to trust you with my heart in your hand and I'm going to hope that you trust your heart in my hand and we're going to constantly be doing this juggle of I'm going to trust you right now to I'm going to say this it might come off really raw and really bold and really aggressive, but I'm going to trust that you understand where I'm coming from and we can have a conversation about it. And when we do multi ethnic ministry and when we learn how to love between differences, we're doing just that. We're doing an awkward dance. I don't really know how to dance and I'm very awkward sometimes, but we're, we're all doing um, this awkward tango together when it comes to racial reconciliation within the church. It is hard. You guys, it is so, so hard, and I'm sure some of you all who are doing it or in the trenches of doing it and even thinking about doing it totally understand that it is hard because you feel like you got one step down, and then you get five beats ahead, and you're like, oh, that was, no, that was not it. Let's just go back to step one, and it so it often feels like you're taking one step, not even, probably not even a step, probably a half a step, and then you're taking six steps back, and I just want to encourage you all. Um, we need each other for our gospel to be complete. No matter how hard this gets, I need you and you need me so that our gospel is complete. And that's what I love about God is that he created not just male and female to display his character and his, his being in two separate ways. That's why I love when it comes, when I t- get to talk about um, how God is displayed in his creation, because he, took the initiative to create a man and create a woman to where we need each other to display his glory. And the same goes with the other races and cultures all across this world. We need each other because when we're together, we display God's glory in a whole other way. And that I cannot wait to get to heaven, to see that, to experience it myself because it is going to be so beautiful. And, and so I just want to leave you all with that, is that we need each other for our gospel to be complete. I'm going to pray, and then we can do questions if you all have any. God, thank you so much um, for your word, most importantly. God, you um, gave an instruction manual for us as believers, as your children, to learn how to walk this life out. You did not leave it as a mystery. You did not leave it as a... Um, good luck to us, but you left us your word, which was God-breathing, God-inspired word to live this life. And Father, I thank you again for all of these people who have a heart for your kingdom. And not just for your kingdom to grow, but a, a true vision for your kingdom to be diverse. And so, God, I thank you. I pray that um, the advice that Paul gave us in Corinthians would... Um, it would be inscribed in our heart that we would learn how to love across differences, that we would learn how to be um, walk in humility when it comes to things. We would learn how to um, share our resources with those who are under-resourced, that we would learn how to um, commit to one another even when things get hard. I know relationships with human beings are very hard. Sometimes we don't know how to communicate well. Um, but God, we need you. And we need each other for our gospel to um, to be whole. And so, God, I pray that when we leave here today, that we would just feel renewed. And that you are not calling us to do something new or that hasn't been done before. But you have done this before. You have brought people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different um, statuses, different um, all over the world to do this. So God, you have already done this. And so I thank you that you are not calling us to do anything that you haven't done already. And so God, I pray that we would always look back on your word for help. God, that we would uh, depend on you when it comes to um, learning how to love between differences. Holy spirit. Thank you for your wisdom. Holy spirit. I pray that you would continue to refine us, continue to um, sanctify us. Holy spirit. Thank you for, um, just your patience with us. We get it wrong every day, but yet you are still pursuing us wholeheartedly. So Holy Spirit, thank you. I pray that you would go forth in every single person in this room's life. Um, and I thank you, Jesus, for the cross. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.